Welcome to First Do No Harm with your hosts, Jamie and Kristen, where every week we bring you issues that are often controversial, not only to spread information and understanding about the topic, but to deepen the understanding of why people think and feel the way they do. Hopefully, by doing this, we can bridge the frustration and sometimes hatred of opposing views and help plant the seed that can cultivate a society that seeks kindness through our differences. going to talk about today, Jamie? Well, we talk about every week, Kristen, taking over the world. I used to love that cartoon. I do too. I did. I did too. You know, I would just like to point out that my animals leave me alone all day long. And when it's time to record, they all seem to flock to me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I would also like to point out that you were not present on last week's podcast. And I specifically told people that we couldn't keep you away. I know. I feel like it's becoming a habit of mine. Every other week, we're just going to, every other week, you're just going to be Kristenless. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, what an empty world. I know. And our work schedules are like opposite right now. And our work schedules are usually pretty on point and they're together. But mm-hmm. now it's like you work. Well, last week I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we're just turning into, uh, it's going to be really bad when I go to days. I start a new job soon, guys. Yay. And I'm going to, mm, and I'm going to be a day shifter. That's real weird. That is weird. Did you, oh, okay. So let's talk about the mean face you sent me when I posted that thing on Instagram earlier this week. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing on Instagram? Um, hold on. Let me find it so I can read it to everybody. Oh, okay. So it was a meme. Hold on. It was a meme and it says, have you ever thought about switching to day shift? And the other person says, no, I don't like the sun, people, and management. And I posted how I feel when people ask me about switching. Because pretty much people are always like, when are you going to go to day shift? I'm like, when my doctor tells me my health depends on it. (laughs) Not before. Mm -hmm. And then you sent me a mean face afterwards. Uh Uh-huh. It's true. For those of you (laughs) who don't know... Uh, typically day shift is a very coveted position, but Kristen and I both have much hatred for early morning hours if we're not still awake from the other previous 11 hours. Is it really a coveted position? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's why they can pay you less to work on day shift. How many people do you know, question, how many people do you know in your unit has switched to day shift in the last, let's say, five months? Oh, probably at least four off the top of my head, probably more. Okay. How many people have you known from your unit has switched from day shift to night shift in the last five months? One. So, And that's the first time in a long time. Like, I feel like we've never had anybody go from from days to nights. Oh, wait. We did have one other person, but that was like six months ago. Oh, no, I said five. Okay, yeah. Just just one then. So is it coveted? Is it? I, I guess so. But man, I I enjoy night shift. I, I'm a, I don't know. I don't wake up well. I don't wake up easy in the morning. I wake up fine at 4.30 in the afternoon. Not so much at 4.30 in the morning. And every time I say that, somebody's like, why are you waking up at 4.30 in the morning? I'm like, I don't know how long it takes you to get ready, but it takes me at least an hour. Then I have to feed the dogs and I have to let the dogs out. And then I have to drive to work. And if you're in, and if you're in on day shift, that's rush hour sometimes. So, yeah. Mm-mm. And you don't get free garage parking on days. <laughs> when <laughs> You get better parking I, at night. When I worked at... Um, Mass Gen and Yale. Both of those had to do some rotating shifts. And I will tell you, when I have to wake up to go into my night shift position, I can wake up at like, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm good to go. I enjoy watching some TV, reading a book, drinking some coffee, taking a shower, pampering myself before I go to work. The days that I had to do day shift, 
I would sleep in my scrubs so I could wake up the minute <laughs> that it was time to go and Literally not waste any roll time. out of bed. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. No. It was terrible. Yeah. I had to, I had to, at the hospital I previously worked at, I had to rotate for about six months. It was the worst six months of my career. Mm-hmm. I hated it. And it's not that I, I truly don't hate people, right? I love people. And I don't mind management, right? They don't, they don't scare me or anything, but like, I just, I'm not a morning person. I've always been a night owl and I, yeah. And my, and it's so, it's so weird. Like everybody that I talk to that switches from nights to days, they're like, Oh, my digestion is so much better. I was having so many GI problems and I was hungry all the time. Or you hear, I'm never hungry. It's always a lot of GI problems for some reason when people's circadian rhythm gets jacked up. But with me, I'm like, I don't, I don't have that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm fine. (laughs) I eat fine. I wake up fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I read a bunch of studies that showed that people who work night shift, they're more prone to a lot of diseases, cancer, um, being overweight. I can't remember all the rest of them, but. But I I wonder I wonder if there's like a select few of us in that genetic pool that are like predisposed to work to operate better at night. Oh, well, that's why it's called a circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. I was like that as a child. Man, I could sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon. My mom didn't let me, but like if she would have, I would have been, I could have done it. I hated getting up in the morning. Hate it. I still do. Still do. Were you always the kid that was grumpy getting out of bed? Oh, God. (laughs) My mom's routine for me to this day, if somebody does it, it will literally piss me off so bad. And I was going to say irritate, but I feel like I used that word up a few podcasts ago. (laughs) (laughs) My mom had this routine where she would come in and be like, okay, it's time to get up, right? And then she would leave for about five or so minutes. This is probably why I have to set 10 alarms now. To, to mimic my mom trying to wake me up. And then she would come back and she would turn the light on. Okay, time to get up. And then on the third time, if I wasn't out of bed yet, she would come in and rip the covers off of me. Time to get up. I said, you got to get ready for work, get ready for school. And I was like, so to this day, if somebody rips the cover off of me, oh, I come unglued. <laughs> Don't take my cover away. Let me sleep. But yeah, I was horrible mm-hmm. to wake up in the morning as a kid. I always wanted to stay up late and sleep till like noon. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that I have found a career that allows me to do that, I feel like I'm a it's a, I am officially a success as a human being. <laughs> that makes me so sad. Although Why? I will say that the two people that I shadowed when I was debating on taking this job. And for those of you who don't know, you know that Kristen and I both work in neuro ICU. We currently work in separate neuro ICUs, but I'm switching over. Against my will, we currently work in separate neuro ICUs. Just like to put that in there. Sorry, it's go only ahead. a matter of time, guys. It's only a matter of time because then <laughs> pretty soon you're going to hear something like, well, we were at work together, you know. Um, But I'm going to be starting July 1st, a job on a rapid response team at a new hospital. So, but the people that I shadowed, so they told me that they used to be, they used to be night shift ICU nurses and they said they've never felt better since they've switched to days and they were like solid, don't want to move, but their wives or whoever forced them to. So I'm like, okay, maybe, just maybe. I don't know. We'll, well see. Well, I mean, so that week that you interviewed, you switched over to like a day shift schedule, right? And you easily switched. You were like, man, this is going to be so hard to go back to my night shift because your body easily flipped back like that, I feel like. Mm. I don't know. I was pretty tired, but I also didn't <laughs> sleep like two hours right before. <laughs> That's true. You never sleep. Anyways... We got off on a tangent. Okay, Kristen. We are going to talk about today the fifth vital sign. Do you know what the fifth vital sign is? You should know what it is. Pain. Yeah, it is pain. That's what we call the fifth vital sign. Mm-hmm. 
What are the other four? Uh, pop quiz. <laughs> I better get this one right. Blood pressure, heart rate, mm-hmm. respirations, mm-hmm. and oxygen. Okay, so we're going to talk about pain, and we're really going to talk about the non-pharmacological treatments of pain that is super interesting. We go in all the time, and we talk to patients, and we tell them, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being no pain at all, 10 being the worst pain of your life, how bad is your pain right now? Like you get stuff out, you get tens all the time, right? Across the board. Oh God. I love it when they're texting and they're like laughing with their friends. They're like, it's a 10. No, that is not a 10. Oh, but can... we, it has to be a 10 because that's what they say. Oh, I know. I wish there was another way. I wish there was like some sort of unit or some sort of like, you know, like we have a blood pressure cuff. We have a pulse oximeter to measure your oxygen. We have an EKG to look at your rhythm and your heart rate and all that. I really wish there was like some sort of machine I could hook you to be like, oh, according to the machine, it's a four. <laughs> I did work for a doctor once. I'm not going to say where, but I worked for a doctor once that had a patient who did have an issue, who, but who kept coming back for like pain medication. And we took the patient's vital signs and stuff. And then the doctor, he said, okay, I understand you want pain meds. But let me tell you what your body is telling me. Your blood pressure is fine. Your heart rate is fine. Nothing is elevated. Like your body is telling me you're not really hurting. Mm -hmm. And you may need pain medicine for management, but you don't need Norco or you don't need Oxy or. But recently we've learned to not go by that. Have you read those studies or have you been told that in your facility? I mean, I haven't read any studies related to that, but as you were saying that, I was thinking, but what about the chronic pain sufferers where their baseline is, you know, like, so let's say a normal person, normal, right? Because none of the air quotes here, because none of Mm -hmm. us are normal, but let's say a person who doesn't suffer from chronic pain, let's say their baseline is zero. um, And then you have a chronic pain sufferer, like when that first pain event happens, you could be at like an eight, right? But eventually your zero becomes somebody else's six. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then once Mm -hmm. it becomes somebody else's six, because the body is such an efficient machine, your body starts, okay, well, this is our new normal. So we better get used to it. And we can't live with high blood pressure all the time and blah, 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 blah. So your body starts to come back to homeostasis, but you're still in pain. Or at least that's my theory on it. And so I can understand why people would say that you can't really use that anymore. Unless it's an acute problem. Unless you're in, like, you just had surgery. Because, I mean, a lot of times I look at my patients who can't talk to me, right? They, they're sedated. And they always say, you know, you always learn. First thing about sedation in, in nursing school is that sedation is not a pain medicine. Propofol mm-hmm. is not a pain medicine. You still have to administer a pain medicine when you administer a sedative medication. So you look at their, if you've tried everything, like there's some patients, especially in neuro, you pay a lot of attention to blood pressure. I'm sure everywhere you do, but it's just my experience. You pay a lot of attention to blood pressure and you've tried hydralazine and you've tried labetalol and you gave them some clonidine on their NG tube and you've tried everything to get them back. And you might've had to, and your next step, if let's say you still can't get their uh, blood pressure under control is, should I start like a nicardipine drip to monitor, to keep their blood pressure where it needs to be at all times? But a lot of times where I go from that is, okay, well, before I start that, I wonder if I could just up their pain medication and if that would help. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does. I mean, so sometimes, I mean, it does. Yeah. I feel like in in acute situations that we deal with a lot of times, heart rate, respirations, blood pressure, that's all a really good indicator of someone who's in pain and might not be able to say it. And I'm glad that you kept mentioning chronic pain because what we're going to talk about today is a little bit more of the chronic pain versus the acute pain. What is the purpose of pain? 
What do you think the purpose of pain is? Like, if you really think about it. Your body telling you to get out of that situation, right? So, I mean, that's a really broad statement, but you put your hand on a hot stove and your immediate response is to pull it away. That's your, ow, that hurts, stop it. Right. That's exactly right. It draws attention to an illness because without pain, we could be walking around with like a life-threatening injury and we would have no idea. Right. You know, you could have a knife in your back that punctured along and if you have no pain, you know, you could die quickly. So a little bit about pain and how the body creates it. Pain begins with sensory nerves that reach throughout the body to detect damage. So that's, it's really all about electricity that runs down the nerves. So if you step on a nail, it sends a message to your brain and it, like there's a response to let your brain say, hey, to let you know that there's an injury there and it, it's, it's causing a pain response. Okay, so we, we know what pain is. We know why we have pain. Do you know, because obviously pain's been around forever, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know the world's oldest and best known pain-fighting drug? Tylenol. Before we had pills. I think it would be more like aspirin, salicylic acid, right? Because oh, that opium. comes from... Opium. Oh, even older than that. Because I was thinking like aspirin comes from the bark of a white white willow tree or something like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense. Opium makes sense. Yeah. Do you know where opium comes from? The cartel. Just kidding. <laughs> they come from poppy seeds. Yes. Poppy they, flowers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because then if you like, rumor has it, if you eat a poppy seed muffin or something, you're not going to pass a drug test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so opioids come from like the synthetic versions. We know that we're in an opioid crisis. There's been a couple podcasts that For Sue No Harm's done on safe injection facilities, safe injection sites. So we know all about opioids. But how can we deal with pain that isn't related to medication? Because we know it's all about what's going on in the head, right? Like mm-hmm. your, your brain is wired to send electricity to communicate with the rest of your body and vice versa. So I started looking into this and I came across a really cool article that talked about how to stop your pain with your mind. Mm, okay. Sounds kind of crazy. I mean, not to me, to somebody else, it might sound crazy too, but I'm all for it. Let's go. Um, So this article is, it is by Spine Health and it was published in 2015. Goes through and it lets you know, you know, chronic pain is not, it's not a simple sensation, right? Right. It is strongly influenced by the ways that the brain process the, the pain signals. And it can also provoke strong emotional reactions. There's a lot of fear, anxiety, terror, all of that that goes along with pain signals. So there's an excerpt out of here that says, if there's any good news about chronic pain, it is that to a certain extent, the brain can learn how to manage and decrease the sensation of pain using a combination of deep focus, breathing, and imagery techniques. Chronic pain is something that it can go on for months, it can go on for years, it can go on for a very, very long time. And it it actually can become so ingrained with our psyche that we feel like the pain is just part of who we are. It can become our identity. A recent Gallup Healthway survey found that 47% of people experienced some form of chronic pain within the last year. 47% of people. Mm -hmm. I can believe it. I mean, 100% of this podcast experience is chronic pain. That is not a lie. (laughs) Me and you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can believe it. Yeah. My AZ BFF experiences chronic pain. Uh, Her wife, well, practically her wife experiences chronic pain. 
the girl who's currently living with them experiences chronic pain. Lord, I am surrounded by chronic And my mom experiences chronic pain. I'm pretty mm. sure her husband might too. What do we do with it, right? I mean, we're in an opioid epidemic. People are not wanting to prescribe medications. So my chronic pain comes from a car accident where after volunteer work in Virginia on the way home, I fell asleep, drove my car off the side of a mountain. They had to cut me out. They airlifted me. I ended up having a brain bleed, broke my nose. I broke my eye socket, had a lung contusion. But worst of all, I broke my foot. I broke part of my fibula. I broke the talus, talus part of, and prior I was an ultra marathon runner. And when I went to the orthopedic surgeon after I got out of the hospital at Wake Forest, my mom said, okay, sir, my daughter is an ultra marathon runner. So, and he stopped her and he said, ma'am, your daughter used to be an ultra marathon runner. Right now, we're just going to see if we can walk. If we can get her back to walking, we're going to take that as a win. Here we are, pain every day. He prescribed me 10 milligrams of Norco every four hours. And initially I was taking it while I wasn't going to work. And, you know, I just didn't want to. I didn't want my life to be dependent on medicine. I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. For the last, what, five years now, almost five years, because that happened in July. It's legit been pain every day. It's just wear on the spectrum, right? I mean, you know, you have chronic pain. Right. All the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's low end of the spectrum. Sometimes it's kind of high. I wanted to talk about four ways that we can handle natural pain relief. They found that meditation is the best natural pain relief method. Because as we talked about earlier, meditation or, um, you know, you have the brain has a circuit, right? So meditation actually rewires the brain's pain circuitry. Medication rewires the brain's circuitry. Is that what you said? Meditation. I don't know why I heard medication. In drama or in theater, we used to have to go through like a, like a oral warm up mm -hmm. to make sure that we enunciated well. Clearly, I need to start doing that prior to the podcast. <laughs> meditation. Yes, I can totally believe meditation rewires it. It helps anxiety. It helps depression. It helps. I, I can totally see it helping pain also. Although I've never thought about trying it why, until why you mentioned you? it. Right. I mean, I've tried meditation, but not for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meditation rewires the pain's circuitry, right? So neuronal pathways within the brain get programmed every time you expect pain to occur. So in time, less and less stimulus is needed to trigger that pain reflex. Eventually, the simple thought of pain becomes the true source, not necessarily the ailment itself. So thinking of pain creates more pain, that put simply. Which also makes sense to me when I was reading through all of this for this episode of the podcast, I was thinking, you know how a lot of people, if you feel, say, a little nauseated, the more you think about it and you really focus on your nausea, I guarantee you, like, a lot of times you'll end up throwing up, right? Nausea will get more intense. Same thing with pain, I would think. There used to be a time in my 20s where I don't know what caused it. I never looked into it, never mentioned it to the doctor. It just kind of went away on its own. So I wasn't pregnant, which was everybody's first thought. Well, why are you getting... Because I was getting nauseous in the morning. It was like morning sickness without the pregnancy. Hmm. And I would... Sometimes I would wake up. I was also a smoker at that point. So maybe it had something to do with that. I would wake up. I'd have my coffee. I'd smoke a cigarette. And eventually I'd puke. Mm. And then I would feel better, right? But sometimes I just didn't, like, who wants to vomit? Nobody wants to have that event. But I would sit there and I, I could, sometimes I could talk myself out of it. So it's kind of on this, like, if I could sit there and just, like, breathe through it, I could talk myself out of it. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, if I could just get over that hump, it'd be better. But yeah, I can see that. In 2011, Wake Forest University, which one of the places that I love they did a study with chronic pain participants. They did four days of meditation training. Before and after training, their brain activity was measured using advanced MRI, brain imaging technology. 
So they found in this study that the subject's quote-unquote brain pain centers were 57% less active after meditation. And that was only after four days of meditating. For how long each day? Mm, It doesn't say. Oh, I was just wondering. Yeah. But meditation, it drastically decreased the amount of pain. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. The second way that meditation helps being a natural pain relief method is that it unhooks your emotional reaction to pain. A lot of times people, especially those who work in pain clinics, they know that often when patients no longer have the original condition that created their pain, they still hurt. And if you wonder why, it's because the patients are stuck in what they call a brutal feedback loop. They anticipate the pain. It creates stress. Stress leads to physical tension within the body, especially near the painful area, which ultimately leads to more pain. Mm. Mm -hmm. So meditation, it teaches you how to emotionally detach from your negative thoughts and physical sensations where you no longer feel pain. Mm, Yes, it does. Have you ever heard of the Calm app? I have. I tried it. Mm -hmm. I I have the app. And in like, there's like a seven day intro to meditation. And one of the techniques it teaches you to do is to not respond to any outside stimulus that you feel or hear. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing to do too, of course, because meditation is a practice, right? The more you practice, the better you get at it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I can, I can see that totally. Kind of like kindness from the last podcast that we did together. It's like a muscle. Meditation can... It builds that muscle the more you do Mm -hmm. it. So meditation, it, you know, like I said, it teaches you how to emotionally detach from your negative thoughts and your physical sensations by becoming a passive, impartial observer of your mind. Suffering is no longer a function of pain. It's awareness of sensation without labeling every little thing you feel as good or bad Mm -hmm. or intoxicating. And so it forces you to become mindfully aware of just how much pain there truly is and how much you are generating via your thought process. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting, like pain is really built up to us sometimes a lot bigger than what we actually feel like. No, I get what you're trying to say. Like in, okay, so that podcast that I told you to listen to Mm -hmm, that was a great one. mm -hmm, They talk about it's called, the podcast itself is called That's So Retrograde and it talks about the mind-body connection and how your body has these responses. I'm not saying, and, it, and I'm going to say it and it's going to make it sound like, oh, the pain's all in your head, but it's not. So like, let's take a chronic migraine sufferer, mm-hmm. for example, and you have a event coming up where you have to deal with your mother-in-law. And I think this is the example Mm -hmm, she uses in the podcast. Yeah. So you have an event coming up that you have to deal with your mother-in-law and your mother-in-law is not very pleasant woman to deal with in your experience, right? So you got to go to dinner, dinner's planned, you're set to go to dinner, but your brain and your body are trying to protect you from what you see as a threat Mm -hmm. and you get a migraine and now you can't go because now you have a debilitating migraine and it's real and it's there, but it was your body. Sometimes it's your, your body's learned response to not have to deal with, it thinks it's protecting you. You know, it thinks, it thinks it's protecting you from, and I'm sure it's evolutionary, right? Because back in the day, (laughs) you know, when you're like, man, the last time I went on that hike to go get food with that person, I got attacked by a bear and that was not a lot of fun. And so now I need to go on that hike with that person. And now I don't want to. And now you're like, so maybe, maybe it's like that. But now, except it, except instead of it being a bear attacking you, it's your mother-in-law attacking you, which, you know, for some people could be the same thing. <laughs> yes, it can. <laughs> yeah. So, so I totally understand what you're saying as far as that connection that we create. Sometimes we create something that's not there. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's kind of part of the third way that meditation helps with pain because it cleanses the pain sufferer's hormonal environment. 
mm-hmm. which is what this is what you're saying, because within our DNA, our ancient ancestors handed us down what's known as the fight or flight response, which for them was very, very necessary because you had all the predators that they had to keep an eye out for on a daily basis. But now, modern age, we're at the top of the food chain. We tend to use this instinct at times when it's not needed. So when we unnecessarily activate our fight or flight response, it can cause like a catechism of problems within the body, like Mm. the over-release of harmful stress hormones, which ultimately nourish the neurochemical environment for pain to flourish. Mm -hmm. Do you know what is one of the potentially damaging or harmful stress hormones that your body releases? I'm having deja vu. Yes, you are. There's so (laughs) much of this. We talk about this so often. Yeah, cortisol. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And that can raise your blood pressure. It can worsen your inflammation, which is a big thing with pain and injury. It can elevate your heart rate. And it can contribute immensely to the never-ending pain anticipation feedback loop. Yeah. So they found that meditation lowered cortisol levels by about half. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And they said by balancing the pain sufferer's hormonal chemistry, meditation dramatically reduces pain on all fronts. And the fourth way that meditation helps is that it releases chemicals far more powerful than the strongest painkillers. Ooh. Yeah. As we were talking about medication for pain, right? So the standard pharmaceutical pain treatments, they all have a broad range of potency and effectiveness. But even though they have this broad range, they all share very similar negative side effects, which include an escalating dependency, high levels of addiction, numbing of the senses, and masking the symptoms rather than fixing the real problem. You may end up feeling like a mindless zombie. That's what pain medication does to me. Mm-hmm. If I have to take if I have to take anything besides Tylenol or ibuprofen, I'm just groggy. I remember whenever I was when I took Norco at first after the accent, people could always tell when I took it. And I was thinking, I was like, I can't tell that I took it. And they're like, no, it's in your eyes. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're all glazed over. Yeah, I guess normally my eyes dart around like a little animal or something. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> I was just like way more laid back. I don't know. <laughs> they say, luckily, you don't need a pill to create lasting pain relief. Meditation has been proven to healthy and naturally release the feel good. What is our feel good stuff that our brain releases? Serotonin. Oh, you guessed that last time, too. Was I wrong? Yeah. Endorphins. Oh, dang. Kind of. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not really wrong, but... It's just so funny because you keep saying serotonin. (laughs) (laughs) I always think it's probably because I don't have enough of it. (laughs) My body's like, give me more. So they say that endorphins are up to 100 times more powerful than modern medicine's best painkiller morphine. Is that really modern medicine's best painkiller? God, I I don't think so. And they also threw in there that Mother Nature's pain reliever has no side effects, no need to fill a prescription at the pharmacy, and meditation allows you to tap into a Dorfin's massive healing power anytime you want it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's an article under the Spine Help. It's called How to Stop Your Pain with Your Mind. So I tried this out because like we were saying before, I, I always had pain, especially working on my feet all the time. Never, I haven't been able to run in years. Every now and then I get like very courageous. I'm like, I, you know what? Forget that doctor. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I know my body. And I get out and I try to run. And then I'm <laughs> on the couch for a couple of days with my foot up in the air, chewing on some Tylenol. And the doctor was right. I don't like that. But. So there's a couple ways that you can use meditation, and it's kind of interesting. There is altered focus. This is a powerful technique that involves focusing your attention on any specific non-painful part of your body. It can be your hand, your foot, whatever. 
And you also want to focus on the altering sensation in that part of the body. So for example, you imagine your hand warming up. It'll take your mind away from focusing on the source of your pain. I know that's not the one that I tried, but they recommend it. Then the one that I did try was reducing the ball of pain. And this one, I read this one's really great for joints and bone pain, which is why I was like, yeah, let me try it. This one is you have to imagine your pain as a colored ball. You need to choose a color that might be a stress color for you, like red. For me, an Alabama fan, my stress color was <laughs> orange. Red is not a stress color for you. (laughs) (laughs) But orange is. That's why I own zero items of orange clothing. I was was wondering earlier why it was orange. Now it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I can't stand it. Sorry, Barners. So (laughs) each time you breathe in and then you exhale, you imagine the ball of pain becoming smaller and gradually changing to a color more relaxing. So for me, it would change to a very light bluish, whitish, minty color. So it said that you may then wish to imagine a soothing and cooling ice pack being placed on the area of pain. Oh, I didn't read that part before when I was doing all of this. What I did was it went from the size of the pain. So I had an orange ball in my head. What was the size of the pain? I turned it to the blue. And so the pain like... Eventually, it started getting where it was much better. It was a different kind of pain. And then I minimized the ball and almost like rubbed that cooling. It almost, to me, is like a light color of the aloe vera with lidocaine in it. But then I would see myself rubbing it on my foot. And I've done it now for how many weeks? Two, three? But I'll tell you, I went out on day three. I went for a run. It hurt some while I was running and I tried to do it mentally and the pain would go away. I got home and I think I did take Tylenol the next day uh, just because I was scared of it coming back. But I've worked, I think maybe six shifts through using this and I have been pain free. I haven't taken Tylenol now, probably in about four or five days. That's pretty awesome. And I just worked three in a row. Mm -hmm. Which usually kills your foot. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. my, my foot still swells. It's just the pain's not there. And I would like to point out to everybody that what she's talking about, as far as like, imagine, it, you know, as far as like the ball and changing it colors, it's all imagery. It's all close your eyes, imagine the ball, change the color of the ball, all imagery. Mm-hmm. Just want to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. And you're, and you spend time initially, like I had to get used to meditating and so focusing, breathing in. And then in through your nose, like you were saying earlier, out through your mouth, and then really getting in tune with my body and not paying attention to what was around me, my dog, whatever, and just completely relax so I could focus on the pain. There's another one that they use is transfer of sensation. They say that you can use your mind to produce altered sensations like heat, cold, whatever, in a non-painful hand and then place the hand on a painful area. And so you're supposed to envision transferring this pleasant altered sensation into the painful area. I tried that one. I couldn't, I couldn't make it work. The ball was the one that worked for me. And everybody's different too. That's why they give you so many options. Mm -hmm. And if one doesn't work, try the next one. And when one works, you know, stick with that for a while. See how that makes you feel. And the last one that they suggested was pain movement. And this one is one where you mentally move your pain from one area of your body to another where you think the pain will be easier for you to handle. Mm. If your pain is so and you're like, I can't take another minute of it, of my leg hurting, Mm -hmm. mentally move the pain from your leg to your lower back. Or I get like that with migraines. Oh, like you just get so you just get so fatigued. From like, you're so tired. Like, it's not even like the pain's not getting worse, but it's not getting better. And then you just get to a point where I just like cry where I'm like, I'm just so sick of it hurting. It's just, 
so exhausting to have it hurt in the same place all the time. Mm, maybe you could try that one, the pain movement, and see if it works. Mm, I might. It said before trying the imagery technique, practice the simple breathing and relaxation exercise for a week or two until you have that down pat. And once you can achieve deep relaxation consistently, that's when you have to add in the imagery exercises. And they, they recommend that you involve yourself in these pain coping strategies about 30 minutes, three times per week. And with practice, you'll find that your power over the pain will increase and it will take less mental energy to achieve more pain relief. I can, I can vouch for that. Because your muscle gets stronger. That's right. Just like kindness mm-hmm. muscle. Now right. we have a meditation muscle. And I know this sounds kind of kooky, but guys, like, you know that there are people who have parts of their limbs amputated, right? Mm. If you, if something were to happen and people have to have, like, a below-the-knee amputation, they remove part of their leg. Kristen, what happens to those people? Like, what's very common? They get phantom pain. Yeah, what is phantom Mm -hmm. pain? If I'm remembering correctly, so they've severed the leg... But there's still a nerve that used to go all the way down to your foot, let's say, that goes back up to your back up to your spinal column and then to your brain. That nerve doesn't know that you're. Am I saying it correctly? You the are. nerve doesn't know. The nerve doesn't know your your leg was amputated, so it still sends it can still sig- send a signal. But your foot's not there, or itches, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not there, so you can't scratch it. You can't put ice on it. So it's a, it's a pain that you can't do anything about. But they feel it. They feel pain in their foot. They feel pain mm-hmm. in their ankle when they don't have an ankle there anymore. Mm-hmm. Because your brain, there's a pathway. It's, it's communicating with your brain and it's lying to it. Mm-hmm. And there, the treatment sometimes for this is to, I've seen it where they take a mirror mm-hmm. and stick it between your legs and face the mirror towards the leg that's still there mm-hmm. and look down. And so now you see two legs. Right. And that, and that helps to rewire your brain, mm-hmm. which is actually the whole purpose of meditation is rewiring how your brain responds to pain. I mean, the brain is a powerful place. It's, it's how we feel and it's how we interact with the world and it's how we it's how we live mm-hmm. right like if we didn't have a brain we wouldn't live it's, and it's yeah like she said it might sound kooky but it's 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 legit yeah but this part is real i mean which goes hand in hand with the meditation why that part i found is so powerful because mm-hmm. these are true pains that doctors deal with whenever they remove a limb an arm a leg mm-hmm. whatever and they also use what's called TENS device for these people who have phantom pains a lot of times. Like on the stump? Yep. Transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. So it allows for muscle pain relief. But it's, it's this weak electrical current that they put little sticky patches. It interrupts signals before it gets to your brain. Mm-hmm. Again, it's recreating those pathways. Yep retraining them mm-hmm. which is what we're trying to do with meditation right mm-hmm. yeah and from a limb that's no longer there sometimes people feel movement temperature pressure vibration i mean it's not just a painful sensation so i mean like you were saying the brain's so powerful now here's something i found interesting there's no drug specifically to treat phantom limb pain do you want to guess, because I have a very strong opinion on certain disease processes, certain diagnosis. Okay. Do you want to guess what drugs or what type of drugs, there's two, that may help phantom limb pain? Guys, this is, this is something that the brain is creating that's not real. Okay, pain that's not real. I mean, it's real pain, but it's being projected elsewhere. Okay, the first drug to come to mind is Neurontin, or known, also known as Gabapentin. Is that one? Oh, that would be good. But it's a it's a type, like a oh, pain medication or a... I don't know. 
I don't know. That's the only one that comes to mind because it's a nerve thing, right? And, and I think gabapentin a, treats nerve pain. I think so. it's a very educated guess. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, meds. But for, you're wrong. But you're. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. <laughs> no, meds for depression and epilepsy. Like you were talking earlier about the podcast where it says that our brain creates the body responding in certain ways, right? Like mm-hmm. the brain, if you're having a lot of issues with the mother-in-law, then you may get sick. You may have a horrendous headache. You may come down with nausea and vomiting and diarrhea that's uncontrollable. And you may think you have food poisoning. I think that fibromyalgia is part of it. Oh, and it says here, Fibromyalgia is a disorder characterized by a widespread musculoskeletal pain accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood issues. Researchers believe that fibromyalgia amplifies painful sensations by affecting the way your brain processes pain signals. I think it's so misdiagnosed because physicians can't put a finger on what it is. I think that a lot of the pain where it just feels like nerves on the outside of the body is actually depression. I think that, I mean, depression hurts your body. Oh my God. I always think of, I used to take Cymbalta for my depression and I had to come off of it because it was horrible side effects. But anyways, I always, every time I would say something like Cymbalta, Sarah would repeat the commercial, depression hurts, Cymbalta can help. (laughs) (laughs) And it it does, depression does hurt. Mm -hmm. And and the more you're depressed, the more you hurt. So if you have chronic pain with depression, like in your little depression, in not little, but in my little depressive episodes, my pain might get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, totally. Can, it exacerbates yeah. it, I believe. Mm-hmm. It intensifies everything. I encourage anyone who suffers from fibromyalgia to also try this type of meditation and the pain and relaxation and see, see if that helps too. Because I think a lot mm-hmm. of that goes hand in hand. I think the world is tough for those people and... They just can't escape it. And it's an, and any sort of chronic pain, right? It's an invisible illness. Like nobody can see it. And like migraine or fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. or your pain, for example, nobody can see that your foot hurts. Nobody can see that when my head hurts. Um, And so they're like, what's, what do you mean? What's wrong? Take some Tylenol, put an ice pack on it. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that makes it harder because people who do experience chronic pain, get that all the time. What do you mean you can't come? I think you're just making it up. Mm-hmm. I think you just don't want to come. Right. Yeah. I think you're just being a wuss or whatever. And you're not. And then that makes it worse. That makes your emotional state worse, which can make your pain worse. Mm-hmm. And then you get caught in this horrible feedback loop. Okay, Kristen, let's talk about where we feel like people should donate money to this week. I feel like all this stuff lines up. It really does. A friend of mine Michelle Vargas, she is part of the Invisible Project. And this year, the Invisible Project is um, highlighting migraine. Each year, Mm. I think they might highlight a different chronic pain condition or chronic illness. Created in 2011, the U.S. Pain Foundation, it's a 501c3 organization established by people with pain for people with pain. The organization's mission is to educate, connect, empower, and advocate for individuals who live with chronic conditions that cause pain. It offers dozens of resources, programs, campaigns, and events, including its flagship program, The Invisible Project, that highlights the real stories of people living with pain. And so basically, it's an offshoot of the U.S. Pain Foundation. And Oddly enough, I found the magazine. I knew she was doing it. I knew my friend Michelle, who also suffers from chronic migraine, was doing it because she had talked about it on her Facebook and she advocates for it. I found the the magazine at my work and I brought it home and was like, oh my God, you have to look at this. If you would like to donate to the Invisible Project, um, they also go about doing displays, I think. At an Invisible Project event, attendees view firsthand the photographs of our courageous participants The displays are arranged throughout the room so viewers can move about learning more about different pain conditions while also being moved by profound photographs. During our patient education and visible project events, patients hear engaging speakers, connect with others, enduring similar experiences, and meet organizations dedicated to helping them obtain proper care and receive help. 
Seeing the invisible project can be life-changing and life-affirming for a person with pain. Um, cause that's kind of like the me too thing, right? Not, not the hashtag me too movement, but <laughs> like, like, you know, you feel really alone in your, in your situation until you see that you're not alone and that other people do suffer from mm-hmm. the same thing that you suffer from. Um, and people do understand. So yeah, so they travel around, I guess. And if you want to donate to the invisible project or the U S pain foundation, uh, you can go to the invisibleproject.org and there is a donate button down there at the bottom of the page. Um, because in order to continue to expand the project, they rely on funding and grants. Um, the invisible project depends on the support of the readers, those living with conditions that cause pain, their caregivers, and those who want to empower them, educate, and raise awareness for people whose lives have been touched by pain. And they appreciate each and every donation. Awesome. So yeah. And as always, I will put a link on this post so you guys can click and she told you where to go to click the button to donate and that would certainly help people out. And also, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Amy Carlson, which is one of Kristen's good buddies. Tell a little bit about what she does. She is a independent Color Street consultant and color street is a their nail wraps they're awesome they last so much longer than regular not stickers they're not stickers not stickers they look like stickers but it's actual nail polish and you put them on your fingers and they last so much longer than regular nail polish it's coming from someone who uses a ton of antibacterial Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really great and really kind of awesome that she's sponsoring the podcast under the, her Color Street business because uh, under that umbrella because Color Street once a month does a donation so they'll come up with whatever month it is because there's something every month right like June's Pride Month I don't know whether I haven't heard if they're doing anything for Pride Month or if they picked a different uh, charity to donate to for June but May was mental health awareness. So they did mental health awareness. So every month they pick a little charity to donate proceeds to from one specific pack of nail wraps. So sorry, pretty cool. And I will also put just like last week, I will put the way that you can get in touch with her under here in the show notes. And we also want to give a big thank you to a nurse that I know, Fazale Hawk, that didn't know that he signed up to be a Patreon. And whenever I got the email, I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, did, did you sign up to donate money to our podcast? And he's like, yeah, because this is a great thing that you're doing and I believe in it and I want to be a part of it from the beginning. So just a big thank you to Amy and Fazale. Like you guys are awesome and we appreciate you. Absolutely. And we appreciate you guys for listening to us every week. And let us know if you try out any of this meditation and you find that it works. I'm just throwing it out there that it's made a huge difference for me and the pain that I've lived with for the past five years. I highly encourage you to do it. If you try it and it works, or even if it doesn't, let us know. We have our Facebook page. We have our Instagram. Of course, we'll put links how you can get to us on that too. Until next week, hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we can't wait to talk to you again. And I'm just going to throw it out there that I promise... I'll be back next week. Oh, we should start a pool for the week to see if that's true. <laughs> I have witnesses. <laughs> and I hope I also hope everyone has a fantastic week. All right, until next time.